There are a million ways to make money in the food service industry. You just have to find one. On the Titans of Food Service podcast, I interview real life movers and shakers in the food game who cut through all the noise to get to the top. My name is Nick Portillo and welcome to the Titans of Food Service podcast. Let's jump right into it. Welcome back to another episode of Titans of Food Service. I'm your host, Nick Portillo, and today I sit down with Laura Shute, the Vice President of Sales for Custom Culinary, a dynamic leader with an impressive 20-plus year tenure in the food service industry. She's based in Orange County, right here in my own backyard. Laura leads with a warmth and professionalism, driving strategic growth and fostering robust client relationships. Her titles reflect her multifaceted role where she orchestrates strategic, analytical, and executional efforts to propel the company's success. With a collaborative spirit, Laura crafts go-to-market strategies across distribution, national accounts, and industrial sales, ensuring both profitability and sustainable growth. Her innovative approaches, combined with her dedication to customer success, makes her a true titan in the food service arena. Let's go ahead and welcome Laura. All right, Laura, welcome to the Titans of Food Service podcast. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to come on here and meet with me. My pleasure. I'm excited. All right. All right. So I know we talked a little off camera. So what I usually like to do is start with what I call the fiery five food service questions. They're kind of like icebreaker questions. And are you ready? I hope so. Okay. The first one is if you could have dinner with any one person, either historical or alive, who would it be and why? For me, it would have to be Anthony Bourdain. Because one, he's an amazing chef, but I think what what Anthony Bourdain does with food is transcend cultures and people. And he found a way to, you know, help us all gather around a table together and experience not just the food. The food was always delicious, but like how he really got to the heart and soul of people and um, how he brought people together and maybe demystified a little bit about other cultures that, you know, you know, he brought into the average American's living room. So I think he would be amazing. Plus, I mean, he would be fun. <laughs> Let's That's just say a, that. Totally. <laughs> like he can drink, he would be the one. So he'd be I'm the guy. And I'm sticking yeah. to it. Great answer. Okay, so I know we both live in Orange County. Uh, yes. If someone had one night in Orange County who doesn't live here, where must they eat? This is going to sound odd, but one of my favorite places to take people because it's a hotel, and you don't usually you don't think yeah. there's good food in hotels, but the Surf and Sand Hotel in Laguna Beach is actually, I've always told my husband this, that if I ever run away from home, I'm going to the Surf and Sand Hotel. That way he can find me if I ever did run away. But I love the hotel. I love their Surf and Sand, um, the restaurant. It feels like the waves are gonna just crash onto you. Mm -hmm. It's Mediterranean, my favorite type of food. And so that would be my answer. Great answer. I remember 
when I first started in the business, when my dad and I, when we started our company, he's like, you got to go out there and drag the bag. And so I, I literally walked down PCH there in Laguna. I did Newport, some Huntington. And uh, that was one of the places that I stopped into. And I remember being so nervous with my bag of stuff and my line card and, and uh, great memories there for sure. Did you sell something? No, I didn't sell anything. I, <laughs> I didn't know what I was talking about. That was probably within my first 30 days of being in food service sales. That was nine years ago now. And it's just one of those play, one of those memories that's like, I didn't understand how food service distribution worked. I didn't understand like how, yeah, how the product got from point A to point B. But my dad just really wanted me to, to go out there and like learn some of these lessons mm -hmm. the hard way. Yeah, we're actually bringing on an operator specialist and it's been a long time since I have brought somebody on. Um, I know in the in the sales agency side of things, you're probably more adept at that. Um, mm -hmm. We typically hire people that have, you know, quite a bit of experience. And one of the first things I told her was, trust me, you're going to be told no a lot and just get used to it. Don't take it personally. Like mm -hmm. we're literally setting her up to know that uh, you're not going to make <laughs> sales happen, but you never know. I mean, no. it, we, but it's, it's better to make somebody, I think, recognize that it's okay to be out there and just have a conversation and you're probably going to be told no, but okay. Mm -hmm. That's exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> if you could only have one type of cuisine for the rest of your life, what would it be? Uh, Mediterranean for sure. Mediterranean. Yeah, absolutely. Are there any foods or dishes you've wanted to try but haven't yet? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I am such an adventurous eater. I've eaten almost anything that crawls or comes up out of the ground. Um, I can't think of anything. I mean, I think I've eaten almost everything. I mean, I couldn't yeah, eat a okay. scorpion when I was in Thailand. I just couldn't do it. Um, yeah. But I've eaten a lot of other weird critters and other weird things. I, I'd say, no, I don't. I, I've I've eaten a lot of stuff. Yeah. Okay. I love that. Do you have a favorite food related memory from traveling? Um, gosh, I've, I travel a lot. I would say probably just my recent trip to Paris. Mm -hmm. I think... Um, I don't speak any French either. So just for clarity, I went to Paris at Christmas with my family and I just love Paris and I don't speak any French and I love French people and I don't speak any French and they are so warm and delightful. And I love to see Parisians walk around with their baguettes, sometimes multiple and sometimes with the little top kind of taken off because that's really hard to resist. Mm -hmm. But I had the uh, privilege of dining at the Eiffel Tower with my uh, two sons and my husband at Christmas. And one of my sons is in the Peace Corps. And uh, I, I would not have been able to see him otherwise had we not flown to Paris. So he met us from Marrakesh. And we got to have a beautiful dinner in the Eiffel Tower. And every hour, the, t the tower sparkled. And now when I see the Eiffel Tower, we also had the corner window. So I literally look out that, I look at the window and go, oh, I sat there for four hours. I didn't want the meal to end. And it was, it's truffle season in Paris, in, in France this time of year. Mm -hmm. Every dish 
was loaded with truffle. I mean, it was oh, truffle sure. on truffle on truffle. So I was pretty happy about that. What an incredible experience. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> I, I've seen the Eiffel Tower once and I did the sparkling at night when it does that. It, it's one of, I think, the most uh, iconic things or most memorable things that I've ever seen in my life. It is truly stunning. And, and for those listening along that have never been, highly recommended. I had, this was my third trip to Paris and I want to go every year. I wish I could, but I can't. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I had not been in the Eiffel Tower. So if you have that opportunity and you really want to have a memory um, and we didn't exchange gifts or anything, this was really our gift. It's special. So yeah. And doable. Yeah. Well, thank you for humoring me on the, uh, the fiery five food service questions. Now for those listening along, maybe a little background on yourself, who you are, how'd you get into the food service industry? I actually started my food service career at McDonald's uh, when I was 15 and I loved it. Um, and an interesting thing, I, I recently asked somebody how they knew, and he, he runs restaurants and asked him, because he had made a comment that he knew how to hire people. And one of the things that I, I said, well, how do you know if somebody has the hospitality gene or why would you hire them? And his answer was awesome. It was, they walk with purpose. Like mm. there's a sense of urgency. And I think that's, you know, McDonald's taught me that, right? You had to get the orders out and you had to be friendly and you had to work with others and you were collaborative. And I, I really loved working at McDonald's. So I put myself through college. And when I got out of um, the University of Minnesota, which is where I went to uh, college, I interviewed with Landa Lakes, um, as well as P&G and Sherwin-Williams. And I just couldn't imagine the paint thing. And uh, P&G didn't hire me. And Landa Lakes said, sure, why don't you come to work for us? And mm -hmm. I had a one-way ticket from Minneapolis, Minnesota to Newark, New Jersey. And a funny note, I got my company car at the airport, was told to find an apartment over the weekend, and I would start my operator job on that Monday. And I had a car accident on Sunday night. No <laughs> That's way. My, my career. So you started making calls. So you, you worked in New Jersey, right? You I did. I was in Bergen County and I was supposed to make 10 calls a day and uh, I was supposed to sell two operators per day. And I could never get up to the 10, but my closure rate was really high. It was like five to seven. Like I was really, I really, really liked walking into restaurants talking to the owner and figuring out. And I was at that time, Land Lakes was asking us to convert people from butter to country morning blend. So that was how I got started. And I sold those little PC cups mm -hmm. and a lot of country morning blend. And then um, from there, they promoted me into national accounts. And I moved a few times, but I ended up in Orange County. I didn't want to move here. And you'll, you being a native, you'll probably appreciate this, but I remember landing and first, my first thought as we were coming into the OC airport was, wow, everybody has a pool. Like this is yes. like crazy. <laughs> like I'd never seen anything. I'd never been to California. I was like 23 years old. I got my rental car, I'm driving down the 405 and I'm seeing the palm trees and I'm seeing everything's in Spanish and everything is beautiful. And I'm like, I'm never mm -hmm. leaving, I am home. Like mm -hmm. I knew 
literally the minute I landed in Orange County that I was never going to leave. That's so cool. I mean, <laughs> you're right. The palm trees and the pools and the, oh man, it, uh, I live here. I've never not lived in Orange County. I actually, I moved to Italy for four months. It's not long-term. That's, cool. uh, that's the only time I've not lived in Orange County. I even went to college here as well. I just, I love it. And I love the sun. I, I've never been in a place that has four seasons. It's always just sun. Uh, <laughs> well, I sent my two my sons away because yeah. I, I told them you are living in perfection mm -hmm. and you need to experience something else. So that's, they're both somewhere else right now. You mentioned I, one of them is in Marrakesh? One of them is in uh, the Peace Corps in yeah. uh, uh, Morocco. He's actually south of, he's in a small town. And the other one is at Oregon State um, doing nuclear engineering. Wow. Um, mm -hmm. He must be very, very smart to do nuclear engineering. I know. I, I don't know where he got that either. I can't figure out. Like, he's an anomaly because you do have, I mean, he sent me some work that he was working on and it looked like Einstein level stuff. So, but, yeah. Uh, yeah, he's really smart. I want to go back to one thing you, you said when you first started with, with Lando Lakes mm -hmm. going out 10 calls a day, two closures. That was kind of the, what they were looking for the and mm -hmm. the benchmark. And you, you said that your close rate was pretty high. What do you think, or what are some of the tips and tricks that you've learned along the way in doing that, that helped your closure rate? Lando Lakes um, back then had a really good sales training. And I think, because, I mean, it was a pretty simple exercise what I was doing. So it, it, it wasn't because I was like a sales guru out of the box. I like talking. I like meeting people. And they wanted me to convert butter to country morning blend. And there was a pretty good savings mm. on that. And we had good distribution. So it was really a matter of me being willing to to get out there, talk to people and make the conversion and utilize the sales process that Land Lakes taught us. And uh, it was it was just right for the opportunity. I think that was, you know, part of it. And I mean, I, I really liked it. So it and, and I think I was comfortable going into kitchens because I had worked seven years at McDonald's. So walking in the back of a kitchen looking, you know, the, in the old days, they'd say, oh, look in the trash bins to see what they're mm -hmm. doing. None of that was foreign to me. So I think that was uh, part of it. Obviously, as you progress in your career, you get experiences doing different things. I was fortunate to get the experience of working with national accounts and, mm -hmm. you know, again, more coaching development and opportunity came my way. And actually one of the better, one of the best experiences I had was after Land Lakes, and that was Michael Foods. So fun fact with Michael Foods, um, being in Orange County, I was the first uh, regional manager that they hired. And that was when they had just had the patent and they only had two customers. They had Marriott and Burger King and they had distribution with Cisco. And from that point, they hired a couple directors and I was the first kind of uh, regional that they hired. And I had to make a decision. Well, I'm a national account manager at Land Lakes. Do I want to be a regional manager? And, <laughs> you know, it was a hard decision at first. But then I thought, if not now, when? When would I ever mm -hmm. have an opportunity to pioneer the sale of something brand new to the industry? And I love that, too. That was really, really fun. Um, and, and that was a great experience. 
Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. What are some of the learnings that you had from that experience? I mean, I had a lot of great learnings, but unfortunately, the best learning I had was how not to get burned out. So you can get really excited about doing things and you can work really hard. And, you know, I learned a lot about, uh, I, I would say, like, you know, how do you look at a market and I'm pioneering something? Okay, Cisco's my distributor. Who are Cisco's accounts? How do I, you know, incorporate? Because that was before we even had a broker, um, but I got to hire brokers. I got to learn on the job how to work with a sales agency and how to multiply what I do through an agency, which I think is really fun. And, uh, but ultimately I allowed myself to get maybe a little too burned out. And, and that's, you know, I made the choice to, to move over to uh, Quaker Oats after that. And I've learned since how to pace myself a little differently, how to yeah. recognize when things need to be adjusted either for me personally, time off, rest and recovery is something that, you know, look, we've, I think hustle cultures come into question, right? Like everything, you know, in the mid 20, you know, 2010, up until the pandemic was hustle, hustle, hustle. And mm -hmm. I come by that naturally. And I, I now coming out of the pandemic, as well as now that I lead a team of 20 sellers, I believe rest and recovery is just as important as hustling. And we can only be our best if we are our best. And that does require rest and recovery. And I think that was one of my better learnings from uh, Michael Foods. And I thought, you know, that was a great experience, though. I, I wholeheartedly agree. I always tell my team to take time off. And when you take time off, don't tell your customers or or me or anybody that, you know, if you need me, just call me or I'll be checking emails periodically. Just take the time off uh, because you'll get more out of that than worrying about, you know, whatever work may come your way in the in the two days you're off or in the week you're off. It's important to take time away. And work is not the end all be all. It's a part of your life, but it's not your total amount of your life. You have friends and family and, and your personal well-being that you need to take care of as well. Well, and I think too, as sellers, we, you know, we need to have a varied interest, right? We, because we connect with people. And one of the best ways to connect with people is to find common ground. And if all you do is work, that how are you going to find common ground around activities, interests, restaurants, and other things that you do? Um, and there's the physical component too. We sit a lot, um, especially post-pandemic. Um, mm -hmm. You know, having that, you know, the interests and hobbies around, you know, how do you stay healthy and active, and you know, what kinds of things do you do? I think does matter. And and on that, um, you know, as a leader, one of the things we did. Um, was create an infographic on like, how do you take a vacation? You, you, you might think, oh, that's weird, Laura. It's actually cool because what we do is we have culture is nothing more than how you choose to do your work, right? Mm -hmm. We choose a custom culinary to honor rest, recovery and vacation by covering for each other. So kind of like if you were going to go on parental leave, it's the same thing. You have a meeting with whoever's going to cover for you um, to tell them what's going on. You use them as you're out of office. You have a meeting already on the books for when you come back. That individual is charged with providing you with the emails, 
we take people off the email string and I beg people not to chirp in while I'm trying to do something um, because you have to trust. You know, I personally have done all their jobs, so I know I'm capable of doing it. And you have to trust me that I'm capable. And I had a great boss um, at Michael Foods named Russ Menser who taught me that. And he said, Laura, I've done your job before, so I'm more than capable of handling it while you're gone. You're not that important. I'm like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> So um, I think as leaders, we can facilitate that for our team and create a culture that, yeah, your vacation is super critical. Go have fun. Mm. We got this. We got you. Yeah. Very well said. So if you want that, I'll send it to you. I would actually like to get that. I think that'd be a really good resource and something that I'd like to share with my team of our four value, four core values of our company were family first. And I always Mm -hmm. tell people within our company that work is always going to be there. Uh, But you need to prioritize, prioritize your family, your friends first, because that's, that's such an important part of, of your life. Like I, I can only make you so happy coming to work every day. You know, those types of things are so fulfilling. So don't, it, it, it is easy to to burn out in this industry, to jump from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next. It, I also struggle with that. I get excited about things. And then at, at the end of it, I'm like, I'm so tired. Like I can't take on, it's like my body finally just shuts down and says, Nick, you, you have to take a break. And I don't well, like to get to that point. Yeah. And you made a good point too, that, you know, in some regards, we can even get addicted to the chaos mm-hmm. or the putting out fires. And then, you know, are we really doing the right work we need to be doing to support our customers' growth or our company's organization if all we're doing is putting out fires and being kind of addicted to the chaos? For sure. I notice in my personal life, like when my wife and I, let's say we travel overseas or there's something chaotic happening and we need to plan something last minute. Like in those moments, I'm like, I'm so calm. And she's like, how do you do it? I'm like, this is what I do every day. This is the level of, of, uh, <laughs> stress that you just live on the food service. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So tell me about what your current role is mm-hmm. and what your day-to-day life looks like. Okay. So, uh, I lead our sales team at custom culinary custom culinary is a flavor systems company. We do culinary stock sauces and gravy for, um, primarily food service, but we were in some retail opportunities as well. And we work across both commercial and non-commercial. I lead a team of 20 sales reps and I've been with the company. You'll see it on LinkedIn, 22 years, which I'm not sure how that happened. You know, but one of the best things about what I do here and the reason that I've stayed so long is because there's just so many opportunities to support customers and to change and to impact business. And there's just, I really love working with a sales team that's growth oriented. And, you know, coming out of the pandemic, that was a little tough. You know, as you know, it was a really hard time, but look at how, I think we've even moved past being resilient. Everybody uses the word resilient a lot and it's a great word, but we're changed. Resiliency kind of implies that you're you're solid and you're not going to change and you've kind of weathered a storm, right? Mm-hmm. I think we're better than that. All of us in food service, I think everybody that's gone through it has learned something and maybe feels a little smarter or feels a little bit like, yeah, I can handle the headwinds that are going to come my way because I've done it before. 
And maybe we're just a little more, you know, open to, again, that creating, you know, something out of randomness, creating and, and operating in uncertainty and chaos. Because as I like to say, we're always changing the tire on a moving car. Like that, to me, perfectly describes food service. It's, uh, I feel very privileged and lucky to have such a great sales team to uh, lead and learn from. I love that. I love that. We talked off camera a little bit about your philosophy towards sales. Mm -hmm. um, we'd like to get your viewpoint on, on sales in general. Well, I love <laughs> sales. Uh, I know you can tell that. Uh, I think what I love about sales the most is that, you know, if you think about, well, why did you get into selling? You know, was it because you like selling a widget? Did you like the pace? Did you want to make money? Did you like what what prompted you to get into sales? And what for me, it's always been the privilege of being inside someone else's business mm -hmm. and trying to help them solve a problem. So what I've sold throughout the years has not been as important to me, although it's important. And what what we sell today is absolutely a blast. It's really that that opportunity to help a customer optimize their business, you know, help them create outcomes they're looking for, and really that privilege of being inside someone else's business. And I like to think of sales as um, super connectors and dot connectors, because if you think about it, you know, you see a lot of different people throughout the course of your day, your week, and your month, and your years. Mm -hmm. You have that privilege. Your customer doesn't. They only know what's right in front of them. So that to me is the super, super power of a seller. You are literally bringing the outside in and you're helping create value by showing them, hey, I've got customers that are experiencing something similar to you. Here are some of the things that they're doing. How are you addressing that challenge? And you start having these really good conversations mm -hmm. about, um, you know, how things work. Do you think anybody could be a salesperson? Ah, the, the uh, question, are, are, are they born or are they made? Mm -hmm. I believe to some extent that everybody can do it because I actually believe everybody's in sales. So. Mm -hmm. Daniel Pink wrote a book called To Sell is Human. Yes. Did you read it? And I have never read it, but I, I have passed by it many times in the- It's a really good book. And his whole premise is we're all in sales. Like one mm -hmm. way or another, you have to sell your boss on some idea that you have, or you have, you know, you're an engineer and you've got to sell somebody on uh, uh, utilizing a certain amount of money to fix the plant or whatever that is, it doesn't matter. You're always, you know, it's the art of influence, right? I don't believe sellers have to be extroverts. In fact, I, some of the best sellers I've ever met have been what I would call ambiverts, where they're a little bit more in the middle. I think some of the best sellers learn how to manage disruptive emotions, which can be challenging in a high stake situation. So I think that kind of not too high, but not too low kind of person can generally do the job. 
I think you have to have a lot of curiosity. Um, that's where you get into, oh, I get to see what, I get a peek under the hood of what you know, somebody else is doing, and then you have to be able to connect those dots. So I think you have to be pretty smart. Mm -hmm. um, so I think to a great extent, a lot of really good coaching can help people elevate um, all of those qualities. So I would, I'm leaning more towards they can be developed. Um, the one thing that I, I have never been able to crack the code on, and I used to try, and that was for motivation. I, as a leader, you get people to the 20, 15, maybe even the five yard line. And in the old days, I'd say, oh, I'm, I'm going to drag them over the goal line. You know, I, I can do it. <laughs> and uh, I've learned I can't. And there are some people that just either can't or won't see a way forward. Mm -hmm. And it's not my job as the leader to drag them over the goal line. That just doesn't do anybody any good. So the the motivation, I guess, you know, the will has to be mm -hmm. there. If if you have the will, um, I think you can easily do the job. It, it, you're so right about that. I in managing salespeople, looking at the the great ones and the ones that don't necessarily pan out um, within our company. You write the motivation, even the discipline, or the desire to like every day wake up and do this job over and over and over again, continue the follow-up. It It's hard and it's it's a certain temperament that's required to be able to do that. And you're right, it's, it's a wide spectrum of people from very extroverted to very introverted who who can be in sales, but that, that extra X factor of doing this every day, that's hard to teach. Well, and I also think you brought up a good point around, you, you said something about in, in your organization. I like to think of each of these organizations are similar to a football team, right? They're mm -hmm. everybody coming in to interview with you. They're probably pretty professional, right? Same yes. with me. They come in and they're professionals. Yes. My job on the hiring side is to really be clear about our system that we have, because if you're Tom Brady, you were great, right? As a New England Patriot, but you might not be good as, as a, uh, LA charger. Yeah. The system, it doesn't mean he's not a professional. Yeah. It just means my system might not be the fit. And so as the hiring manager, I spend a lot of time thinking about, is this person going to fit in the system we have here? My system is the system. It doesn't mean it's good or bad. And it's not mine. It's my company's. It, it, it's getting that match. That's where the magic happens. So that's a two-way street, right? It's not just, mm -hmm. you know, does the candidate have the skills? It's does the candidate have the skills and is the system we have here conducive to supporting those skills and amplifying what that person brings to the table so that we both win? No doubt. No doubt. What about in terms of managing people? What is your philosophy? You mentioned that you're managing about a team of 20 people. That's a, that's a significant size, uh, a significant amount of people. What is your philosophy towards that? Well, I, I have five direct reports um, and they're my frontline sales managers. Okay. And I put a ton of credence and passion behind those five leaders because it isn't going to happen uh, in the market if those five people aren't lockstep coaching, developing, 
we don't have a sink or swim kind of company. We really do everything we can to help develop and create a learning culture so that um, people feel okay to raise their hand and say, hey, have you guys thought about, you know, have we, have we tried it this way? Or, hey, we've tried this five different times and it's not working. Here's what the customer is saying. And, and we need a way to take that back to corporate that doesn't make it sound like sales can't sell, right? It's, hey, here's the feedback we've received. How do we tweak what we're doing or tweak the product or do something different to answer that feedback? So it's a, um, a learning culture, uh, supporting my my frontline sales leaders, and I would say critical feedback and being okay with feedback. Like everybody should be okay with feedback. And you know, I'll tell you, for a long time, that was probably one of my biggest weaknesses is is feedback because early in my career and you'll you'll appreciate this you were probably mm-hmm. a straight a student coming up out of school don't tell me if you mm-hmm. were or weren't but i bet you you were <laughs> okay and you were always told how great you were and everything was good and you know yeah. maybe you were an athlete and you mm-hmm. you had some good wins and then you started your career and things were really really good and everybody said oh you're great well there comes a time at some point you're going to have to receive critical feedback and if you haven't mm-hmm. learned how to receive feedback, it can be hurtful. And so that's one of the ways you have to think about, you know, do we, we have to be open that, hey, in this, in this environment here at Custom Culinary, we really like to seek feedback. We're going to tell, we're going to talk about what worked, where we might have some gaps and some things we might want to try differently next time. And we do it in a respectful way because it, it helps elevate the whole team. And it's not an easy thing to do. And it's probably was one of my weaknesses. I have salespeople though, that are like, tell me, give me the pulse. You know, you're not going to offend me. I want to know, I want to grow. And I, I mean, I hear that from some of my salespeople and I'm just like, oh, thank you. Because mm-hmm. they've made it about as easy as they can for, for us to provide them with that feedback. And then there's others that maybe were like me that, you know, didn't get a lot of feedback coming up, you know, because we were meeting expectations and getting promoted quickly. And that's more of a learning. And so there's a way to talk through that as well. And I know that from personal experience. So it's, um, it's really fun working with people though, isn't it? It it really is. You can't be a leader and not love people. And I, I think you have to love them for all their, they're good and they're bad and their warts and their pimples and their mm-hmm. quirks. And um, I like to say at Custom Culinary, all characters are welcome. We mm-hmm. don't want a cookie cutter sales force because I really do believe diversity of people and thought is what makes uh, this so much fun. That's so true. If you look far into the future for your career, what is something that you want to accomplish, but have not yet accomplished? Ooh, probably right now what's on my mind the most is how do we, how do we impact the food industry in such a way that enables us to support both human health and planetary health? And, you know, so the sustainability piece and if you look at the standard American diet and some of the foods we sell, 
might not be as nutritious as they could be. And they certainly, there's, you know, right, wrong, or indifferent, a lot of different aspects and pushes and pulls with respect to agriculture and the impact on the environment. But I think there's an amazing opportunity for all of us to gather around a table and eat in a way that is both delicious, healthy, and sustainable for everybody. You know, so, you know, from, you know, folks that experience food insecurity and might be malnutritioned through that to people that might be overnourished and, you know, the, uh, burden, if you will, of some of our health conditions like obesity and uh, heart disease and things of that nature, I think there's a real opportunity for the food industry to maybe change a little bit. And I think chefs are at the heart of that. You know, in the hands of a talented chef, vegetables are delicious. So it doesn't matter if you follow a vegan diet an omnivore diet, a paleo, or a keto. I think everybody knows that eating a plant-rich diet and eating a little differently than what we've been doing in the past, it's a tweak. It's not. I, I think sometimes people get overwhelmed by what kind of has to happen by 2030 or 2050. Mm-hmm. Why don't we think about ways, because eating is uniquely human. Again, you know, Every, you know, technology is pervasive. Everybody's worried about AI and uh, the algorithms out there. Eating is uniquely human and how we connect. What an opportunity for us as an industry to have these conversations amongst ourselves as industry leaders, as well as with our customers. And that's that's something that I think is uh, kind of got me excited about the next few years. Amazing. I, Laura, thank you so much. I, this has been an incredible conversation and one that I think is going to resonate with a lot of people. And I, I really love your viewpoints on the industry, on sales, on, on people. It's just, it's inspiring. So I really thank you for, again, taking time to come on here and, and share your story and being vulnerable. I really appreciate it. So thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. 